You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. The rise in the power as a way that we measure a cycling performance is so great for riders, I think, because I remember when I first started riding, I had a little cyclo computer, and so I was really only looking at how far I rode and how fast I was riding. And those metrics can kind of be deceptive depending on what your ride is like. If if it's really windy out, if you have a headwind, or if you're climbing a lot, you might actually be improving a lot as a rider and putting in some great efforts, but those numbers might not show it. So I think power is a almost like a more compassionate way to measure ourselves. It's, it's a lot more accurate and it's person specific. So you can see your performance evolve over time. You can see yourself improve in a way that like average speed might not tell you. That was Kate Paulison. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, Marnie on the Move listeners. Welcome and welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. This week on the pod, I'm dedicating the mic to the world of cycling and launching the Marnie on the Move Wheels Up Cycling Series because I've been binge watching this year's Tour de France and I'm super psyched about the new 2022 Women's Tour de France next summer. Oh, and I generally love cycling and I've been hyper-focused on this sport since last summer when my triathlon races were canceled and it was a big part of my pivot and a great physical and mental escape. So, with that said, every day this week, I connect with athletes, innovators, founders, brand thought leaders on all things road and gravel cycling, from racing and training to high-tech gear and more. First up, I am so excited to introduce you to Kate Paulison and dial you in to the world of SRAM, the company that makes the cycling industry's top components, all the things that make your bike move forward. In case you're not a cyclist or triathlete and don't know those technical terms, Kate is the road brand manager at SRAM, the world's second largest bicycle component manufacturer. But first, shout out to our sponsors, Inside Tracker and Alchemine Supplements. Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to help you optimize your body from the inside out. They are my go-to for understanding my inner health, looking at my blood levels, and getting great nutritional insight. Inside Tracker transforms your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science-backed recommendations you need to reach your goals. Take control of your health and wellness. Unlock the power of your potential. Use our code for 20% off. Thank you, MOTM. And of course, 
There's a link in the show notes. Also, shout out to Alchemind Supplements and Dr. Daryl Joffrey. I am loving the Alchemind plant-based organic protein powder. It has three core alkaline proteins, Sacha Inchi, Pea, Hemp, and of course, it's sugar-free. It's been a great addition into my training and fueling. I'm also using their acid-kicking mineral mix when I'm out on the bike for hydration, as well as the acid-kicking greens in all of my smoothies and their omega-3 and black seed oil supplements for inflammation and general health. Check out their website, getoffyouracid.com, and use our code MOTM20 for 20% off. Now, back to our guest. On this episode, Kate and I do a deep dive into cycling components. Whether you're a newbie and just got your first bike, or if you're a seasoned athlete looking to level up, or if you're bike curious, there's something for everyone. Kate gives me the scoop on how SRAM began. She chats with me about where her passion for cycling started, what she loves about the sport, and how she became one of the leading faces of SRAM. We also talk about the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on the cycling industry and how SRAM pivoted to accommodate the growing demand for bikes and components. Kate highlights the incredible technology SRAM is known for and continues to innovate, including the range of ETAP electronic drivetrains. She shares all the bells and whistles, and we talk about the learning curve to go from traditional to electronic. We also touch upon disc brakes and wheels, and Kate offers ideas on how you can level up your bike without buying a new one, and what to look for when buying a new bike. But she talks about the differences between components on the road versus gravel bikes, and gives me insight into what kind of components are best for which riders. Whether you are thinking about getting started or are already on ETAP and have five bikes, you are going to love this combo and be inspired to hit the pavement or the trails. Wheels up, here we go. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today because I love to geek out on all things technology and innovation and bikes. So currently it is my personal mission and now professional mission to demystify all of the cool high-end products that make bikes move faster, more aerodynamic, and just generally dial my listeners into everything they need to know if they're interested in cycling or if they're an amazing cyclist and want to take things to the next level. SRAM has been a pioneer and leader in innovation of high-end bike components for all types of cycling. But where did it all begin? SRAM has a cool story behind it. You know, we are headquartered in Chicago, Illinois, which if you've been to Chicago, it's great for, you know, getting around by bike. It's it's flat. There's lots of bike lanes, but it's not exactly the recreational cycling hub that uh, other places like California are. So SRAM was founded in Chicago by Stan Day, who is still ahead of our, our board of directors. And Stan was training for a triathlon in Chicago and got tired of, uh, the, the, the story goes, you know, he was just got tired of all getting rattled around by potholes on Chicago right. city streets. And he's like, there has to be an easier way to shift. Cause at the time you had those down tube shifters on your bike and you had to reach down and mm-hmm. it was a little bit scary. So 
that's where Stan uh, invented or worked with some other people to invent grip shift, which was SRAM's first product. And it let you shift from the handlebar and the company started from there. SRAM makes high-end components for the entire bike ecosystem, drivetrains, power meters, and so much more. Dial me in to all the fun gear. We were founded with this uh, road shifting component, grip shift. We then expanded more into mountain bike drivetrains and then have grown in, in the bike industry to offer more componentry, primarily through acquisitions. So if you, you know, go to Colorado Springs, Colorado, we have offices there, and that was driven from acquisition of RockShox suspension and Avid Brakes. Up in Spearfish, South Dakota, there is a Quark uh, power meters. That's right. a, a part of our portfolio. In Indianapolis, you have Zip Wheels, and we have a few few other offices and locations yeah. uh, by that expanded product portfolio. I think I had the Quark power meter way back when. So how did you connect with SRAM? So I was working for a, a nonprofit in the bike industry called People for Bikes, and SRAM gives gives back a lot to cycling, has a, a large advocacy effort, and uh, was a big supporter of people for bikes. So I got to know some of the people who work for SRAM through that role. I was personally already a big fan of the brand. I rode the componentry. I'd had some great interactions with our SRAM's marketing and people over the years. So uh, I had a soft spot in my heart for SRAM and then ended up joining as the road brand manager in 2015. What was your role at People for Bikes? And what is People for Bikes, in case my listeners aren't dialed in? So People for Bikes is a great organization. They're headquartered in Boulder, Colorado, and they work to build more bike lanes, paths, and trails to make cycling safer, to grow the number of riders. Uh, They're U.S.-based, so really focus on legislation and efforts in in the U.S. And um, they're sort of the, the main um, bike industry funded organization that does that because, you know, it's in bike companies' best interest to have people, you know, be able to have a better cycling experience. So People for Bikes is a group that's driving a lot of that. That's cool. That must have been an amazing company to work for. Where did your journey into cycling begin and where are you now with your cycling? Sure. So I got into bikes kind of late compared to some people. I really didn't start riding again as an adult until I was in college. I was uh, a runner and (laughs) gained a bunch of weight and running was really hard. So I had to find something else to to do. Triathlon seemed intriguing. So I got a road bike right before I went to college and then totally fell in love with it. There was a collegiate cycling team where I went to school. And so that provided the the community, the education, the coaching, like there's all the stuff you have to figure out when you start riding a bike, not to wear underwear under your your chamois, all the the little rules and regulations and and tips. And so being able to enter with that community got me hooked and started racing and totally fell in love. So where'd you go to college that you had a collegiate cycling team? I went to school in New England at a, a smaller school called Williams College. Oh, cool. Yeah. And there was um, a really vibrant cycling scene just in general in that part of the country. The yeah. cyclocross 
race series was amazing. There was mountain bike racing, road racing, everything. Unfortunately, our mascot was a purple cow. <laughs> so our team kits were actually like cow purple and black cow spotted. <laughs> it, it's horrible. And the skin suit was like even worse, but it was a small price to pay for, awesome. for growing up in that scene. What do you love the most about cycling? That's a great question because there's a lot of things I can think of, but I have to say it's the way it gives you a different framework of looking at where you live. I think if I was only getting around by car or by running, I don't think I would understand where I lived as well as, as I do because I can travel on a bike. So I think the, the perspective that it lends on wh- where you live or even when you travel, you just see the land and people, you interact with people in a different way. I think that's what my favorite thing about cycling is. Yeah. And the cycling community is pretty cool. Like any other sports community, you know, people love to connect with each other and it's a whole other universe. Yeah. I think community would probably be one of my top answers too. You can meet a total stranger and connect with them through cycling and it gives you, you know, it's given me so many of my friendships and learning experiences and relationships. So that that community aspect, even if you are riding by yourself a lot of the time, that community is huge. Yeah, I, that's what I love about it is just meeting really cool people. And sometimes you don't even you don't even you ride with someone you don't even know what they do. You don't even get that far in the conversation. Like it's really focused on cycling, and you know wherever you're going, especially like in New York, we ride up over the GW and we'll go up nine W to Nyack and. Rockland and you know up to the orchards and people ride to Bear Mountain as you know and I don't even know half the people I meet they're so cool but I don't even I don't you know I see I'm friends with them on Instagram now that's taking it to the next level right but like I mean I talk to them on the bike I see them at the market I see them at Strictly Bicycles but that's it that's cool like I have friends that I just ride with you know that's it the conversation isn't really much more than cycling um and then sometimes, you know, you meet someone and they're like your new best friend. <laughs> so it's great for introverts too. Like I, I, you would really have to force me to go to like a cocktail party with strangers. I, I hate it, you know, making small talk about whatever. It's terrifying to me. But when something about just being side by side with someone on, on a bike, um, the conversation just comes so much easier, especially if you're an introvert. Yeah, that's interesting. Because all the people I ride with are introverts, and I am not an introvert. And I mean, once you are friends and are in the inside track with an introvert, they're not always as introverted. True. Yeah. So let's just talk about the past year for a second, because, you know, there was this thing, a pandemic, and the cycling industry seemed to have been booming and not booming in the sense that it seemed like there were a lot more people out on bikes or looking to buy bikes and a lot of new cyclists on the road, but there weren't a lot of bikes available. So did, is this something that you noticed at SRAM that there was an increase in demand or maybe just as a cyclist seeing more people on the road? So the increase in cycling because of the pandemic is fascinating. It completely skyrocketed in some places from what we can tell you know, kids riding, families riding. It was a really safe activity to do outside uh, without a lot of, you know, you you didn't need facilities necessarily. 
besides safe places to ride. And so, you know, it grew in some ways. Uh, it was also a, a safer way to commute. But then, you know, we saw other pockets where, where it did decline. But for the most part, it totally exploded during the pandemic. And a lot of people started riding for the first time or started riding again after not riding much. So just stepping back, you know, we're always trying to get more people to ride bikes. And it's, it can be hard because yeah. of the safe safety aspect and, you know, it's, just to see that amount of change happen so quickly and human behavior was was fascinating and really positive. On the supply side, it, it did it did challenge the industry to um, to respond to that increased demand. And I don't think it's that there stopped being bikes and parts available. It was just the supply completely or demand completely outstripped the supply. So right. as an organization, our manufacturing team did incredible heavy lifting to manufacture more components to meet the supply and, and they still are. But what's hard is just, it, it's, you know, even beyond, you know, beyond what we can pump out of our, our factories. And so still, still working to get that, that challenge right and to, you know, get people the components want that they want to ride and to support our bike manufacturers with components they need to sell complete bikes. Yeah. So it's been really challenging and we've been trying to do our best as an organization to to do the right thing for for new riders, for current riders, for other parts of the industry like bike dealers and uh, frame suppliers. So, but overall, I think the big question is how do we keep all of these new riders or newly, uh, you know, increased riders? How do we keep them continuing to ride after? life starts to look a little bit like it did before the pandemic. I, this is just an observation, but over the past year, I have seen more people and heard more people who are really doing a deep dive and looking at their health and fitness. And even though we've had endless amounts of time to put our workouts and our schedule, I think people have figured out how to do that you know, maybe they weren't endurance athletes or triathletes training for races. Maybe they were the recreational athletes here or there that just started cycling or that maybe just picked up their old bike that was in the back of their garage type thing or in storage. And I think that a lot of people are starting to figure out like just how important it is to move. And I feel like cycling is a middle ground for exercise if you want to be outside. Like running is hard on your body. I think cycling is a lot better for your body. And speaking of keeping people in the game, I mean, SRAM is, has this amazing new, it's not so new, it's a couple years old, drivetrain out, the ETAP, which is revolutionary for electronic drivetrains, which you introduced, yeah, a couple years ago. Tell me about the three different levels and you know, what people need to know because it's on a lot of new bikes. Yeah. So first of all, for any of your listeners who don't know what a drivetrain is, it's kind of lingo that <laughs> we're familiar with, but just in case. So think of SRAM as like, we make sort of the motors of, of a car. So you might buy a Trek or a Specialized or a Live bike and the drivetrain on there, your crank and chain and cassette and derailleurs, that's what you, you know, lets you propel your, your bike. And so we were sort of this motor supplier for, for the bike industry. And a couple of years ago, we launched 
ETEP access. So this was our 12 speed group set. It, it had electronic wireless shifting, which we had introduced back in 2015 with ETAP, but this sort of has more, more connectivity options. And we launched it not just at our premium flagship level of SRAM Red, which is what they're racing in the Tour de France this month, but then we, we brought it in also at Force, which is another level that's a, a bit more affordable, but still has a ton of quality and premium features. So we launched that in early 2019. And then in April of this year, we launched Rival ETAP Access. So this is the most affordable electronic group set. Usually you can only get that electronic shifting at the, the highest end, which means there's no cables that you pull with your shifters to change gears. So when it's electronic and wireless, it means it's just a lot easier to shift. It's a lot more intuitive. There's less room for error. Think of it as going from a, you know, a manual transmission in your car with a stick shift to a, an automatic where it's just a lot more seamless and, and easy to drive. And certainly there are people who will always want that you know, mechanical experience who like, like the old school touch of it, which is fine. But for a lot of riders, both elite riders and you know, occasional riders, electronic shifting really improves your experience. Is there a big learning curve from traditional shifters and drivetrains to electronic? It always takes a little bit of brain logic to, to get used to a, a new shift logic whether you're going from mechanical to electronic or, or back and forth. But we designed our, when we realized that we could design this wireless electronic shifting, instead of just replicating the same exact system, same exact shift system that you use on mechanical, we took the opportunity to say, hey, what is the most intuitive way to shift? And our engineers actually looked at to race car driving to the paddle style shifting that uh, used to, to shift race cars. And so we, we took inspiration from that. So it's really easy to shift our group sets. If you have you know, heavy gloves on, if it's winter, if you're just totally cooked and you know, can't, can't shift very well because you're so tired from your ride. So we did purposely change the shift style when we went to this new system because we felt like it would be a better user experience in the end, even if you have that initial learning curve of, of getting used to the new system. And can we just talk about the battery life? Because, you know, that's something that you mentioned tired. And I could just imagine, you know, being on a ride and the battery dying. So how do you like, what do you advise? I mean, I know that's not going to happen, because I know the battery has like a tremendous life. But do you sell backup batteries? Like, how do you advise people on that? That's just my personal. <laughs> that would happen. To yeah, me, no, no, so. it, it happens. <laughs> yeah, it's it's totally something that we hear from people who are looking to make the switch to or considering making the switch to yeah. electronic you know oh but like what happens if my battery dies so it's 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 really easy to manage you can check your battery life by pressing a button on your component you can also get an alert on your phone when your battery is low so you never get caught out with it right actually dying on you but, you know, if, if it does happen, if you just totally space on charging it or checking it, which happens, I've done it myself. It, what's nice about the ETAP batteries is there are these really small, lightweight batteries that are attached to your derailleurs. So if you do have 
both a rear derailleur and a front derailleur. Right. You can actually swap a, the battery around and say, put your, you know, full battery onto your rear derailleur, or you can ride with an extra one in your seat yeah. pack. That's what I do just in case, you know, either I run out of a battery or I come across someone with ETAP who, who's lost their battery too. But it's, it's a lot, it's actually a lot easier to manage than it seems people yeah. people think it might be. Yeah, I mean that was just one thing I thought about, but I'm also used to having, you know, my speed sensors and my cadence sensor sensors and my power, you know, my power meter on batteries and you know, they pop up. But you mentioned that you can it will tell you like there's a pop up. So you obviously you have an app which comes with the drivetrain, which is so cool because you can see when you're shifting, how you're shifting. So you can just take your analytics of your training and your riding to a whole new level by looking at your shifting also, right? And you can adjust the shifters I was reading, which is pretty cool. So maybe you can tell me a little bit about that and what are some of the great advancements that are game-changing for cyclists when they switch to this electronic drivetrain. Exactly. So we, because it is electronic and wireless, you have these insights into your components that you wouldn't have otherwise. And full disclaimer, you totally don't need a smartphone to use our, our group site. You don't need the app really. If you just want to ride to get away from technology, you can. It's not yeah. required to, to use an ETAP access drivetrain. But if you like geeking out on data, this is something that's going to open up a, a lot of new insights for you. You can look at things like time and gear. So how many minutes did you spend in your 28 tooth cog? Right. That that's me. I was sitting there looking here. at that. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's pretty cool because some of our pro athletes actually will go and test different chainring sizes or gearing options on a course, and they'll be able to use our access web tool to see you know, which gearing had the optimal performance for them. Mm -hmm. So you can get, get some pro level insights from it, but then it also has a more functional benefits, like just keeping your firmware updated on your components. It's, they are modern technology. So yeah. you do update firmware, getting those battery notifications. So you can use it to whatever like suits what you what want as you. a rider. Yeah. And you mentioned 12 speeds. So is that, that's a road bike? Yeah. So we offer 12 speed gearing actually on across all of our road, gravel, triathlon, even mountain gearing. And what we realized was that people were riding with gears that were, that didn't make sense for the, the way that most people ride. Right. If you look at say the pros in the Tour de France, they're riding with these huge French chain rings, which they're pushing superhuman levels of, of power through their bikes. So that makes sense. But a lot of us, that's not the way we ride. And so what we did was, was take those big front chain rings and actually move some of that gearing to the rear of the bike so that you're never in that situation where you just are either in too hard a gear or too easy a gear. It's a lot easier to find, to find the right gear so you can spin at a comfortable cadence. And is that also on TT bikes? Yes, you can set up a TT bike with either a single front chain ring or a, a double front chain ring, but our cassette has more range than competitors. Okay. Yeah. So no matter what option you go with, you can still have a crazy hard gear if you need it for, say, downhills, but still have 
an easy gear for climbs and then better steps in between all of those. That's interesting because I'm I feel like I need another I need one more gear. I'm on an 11 speed and I just feel like because when I'm climbing, I could use another gear, one easier. You know, I always feel like I need that, either that or I need to strength train a little harder. <laughs> <laughs> is the ETAP that's your latest and greatest innovation? Is, is there anything new in that arena coming out in like the ecosystem of the drivetrain that we might be looking to? Or is this and is this here to stay? So it's... It's certainly here to stay, or at least it's not going to be outdated tomorrow. Yeah. So you you can feel pretty confident buying one of our group sets that. Of course, yeah. You know, there's not something that's going to come along really soon, and and. Not know, like the Apple phone. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but we are always trying to find innovations for for riders, whether it's small things or larger parts of, of a bicycle that remove barriers and improve performance. So, you know, our, our engineers are, yeah, they're always working on something. That's awesome. And let's just talk about, you know, since we're talking about technology and all these great innovations that have happened in the cycling industry over the past few years, disc brakes and wheels. I have noticed that these days, you can't really even get a bike that doesn't have disc brakes or disc wheels. Well, disc brakes, I should say, not wheels. Why are disc brakes such a huge advantage? And how is this something that people need to know about now when buying a new bike? The transition from rim brakes to disc brakes was interesting because there was a lot of resistance for a while. People felt like the bike industry was just forcing something on them to you know, sell them something new. And, you know, rim brakes work fine. It's not like they completely don't work at all. They're fine. They, you know, they got us along for, for so long. We make rim, rim brake componentry. But when you do ride a bike with disc brakes, especially if it's in a situation where you, you are braking, the, the performance is, is so much better. Like you, I feel so much safer when I ride them because I have way more control if something happens on, on the road, I can brake faster, brake better, and keep control of my bike when I brake. So it really opens up what, what you can do on a descent because you can just brake break a lot better with, with that extra power and modulation. So it's, it's not like rim brakes are bad. It's just disc yeah. brakes when you experience them in a lot of situations. They do have, have extra benefits. And so the wheels follow suit. So now when you have disc brakes, you need to have disc wheels. How do you know which wheels to buy and and what factors go into this? All of those things. Yeah, talk to me about wheels. You're doing great. You're doing great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know what's so funny is I've been talking to people about wheels for a long time, but I've felt I have all the old components. I'm totally, you know, a dinosaur. And I am. I'm like, I love shifting gears. I love all that stuff. And it is very, you know, like having a stick shift. So I do, I do really wonder like how will I be able to figure it out? I mean, I'm sure I will, but there is that mental hurdle, you know, that I'm like not going to be able to figure it out and my cycling will change and I won't be as good of a cyclist, you know, all those things. But I have been looking for wheels, mostly just kind of what wheels would I want? You know, I'm 105 pounds. I'm 5'1". I really would love like a set of pimped out, you know, 808 big 
bling type wheels, but I don't think I could ride that bike. I think I need a 303. I don't even think I could do a 404. How do you pick the wheels that are going to work for your style of riding and what goes into that? There are a lot of considerations, you know, where do you live? What is the terrain like? How windy is it? How important is, uh, you know, balance and stability to you? Are you going to be racing? There's there's a lot of factors that, that go into it. I don't think it's quite as easy as, yeah. oh, you're a small person, so you should have, a you know, the sort of most minimal rim section profile available. And what the engineers at, at ZIP have been trying to educate us on is it's not just about aerodynamics anymore. Okay. There's there's a lot that goes into making you fast. And it, it has to do with with a few other factors besides just how aero your wheel is and then how those all stack up for the type of riding you're doing. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna go do a deeper dive on the wheel episode. But yeah, I mean it that is why it has taken me so long to figure out what I want to do. And then of course I'm gonna buy wheels that work, you know, with rim brakes. So then, uh, then that's going to be for that bike. And then I'll get a TT bike and it'll be all disc and whatever, but, and it'll have ETAP and all those things. But yeah, so these are just the things that, so it takes me a long time. It has been taking me a long time to make a decision about the wheels. And I'm glad that you said that because I really do overanalyze things sometimes. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm glad I'm not overanalyzing it and actually doing some deep thinking Speaking of wheels, there's a whole influx of people that are, they have bikes and they're just starting to cycle again. If they want to, you know, maybe they're not interested in buying a new bike and they just kind of want to level up wheels and bearings, ceramic bearings are one way to do that. Why does that make such a big difference? Uh, Wheels definitely can make a big difference. Ceramic bearings are, if you actually look at the data, when I talk to our engineers, they're they they don't really make much of a difference performance wise, but maybe mentally, you know, you feel like you have something that that makes you fast. But it's it's also about comfort too. Yeah, you know, not like part of going fast is being comfortable and and being efficient. So I think you can look at all the other touch points on your bike and see, you know, is is there something that's making you less comfortable, so you're not riding as hard or as long as you would want to. There's yeah, there's a ton of ways that you can upgrade upgrade your bike. What are a few things that you might recommend? I mean, honestly, probably one of the best upgrades if you really want to have a great experience is a a bar bag. It sounds silly and and yeah, it might not make you faster or more aerodynamic, but especially if you're riding in the the spring or the fall, those shoulder seasons where you might be doing a climb and, and get hot, then want to be warm for the descent. I'd say a bar bag is or, or some sort of minimal frame luggage is a great investment because you can carry a ton of snacks. So yeah. you, you know, can ride for as long as you want. You don't bonk yeah. and you can carry layers. So that's probably something I've, I've seen become more popular over the past few years where I was like, gosh, I wish this was a thing 10 years ago when, uh, or more of a thing when, when I was, really getting into riding because it would have made it a heck of a lot more comfortable. Yeah, that's a great recommendation. I actually have a bar bag for snacks and also a saddlebag for tubes and tools. Speaking of, you know, more people getting into cycling, I think over the years, thanks to mainstream brands like Peloton or 
endurance sports companies like Wahoo, we have seen a huge shift towards looking at watts as a benchmark of success when it comes to cycling. There has been a proliferation of power meters, pedals, indoor trainers, and just overall gear as a result of this that spans way beyond the endurance sports community. How have you seen at SRAM an increase in cyclists looking at power as a benchmark for training success and measuring their performance and what kind of products do you have that match this demand? The the rise in the power as a way that we measure a cycling performance is so great for riders, I think, because I remember when I first started riding, I had a little cyclo computer. And so I was really only looking at how far I rode and how fast I was riding. And those metrics can kind of be deceptive depending on what your ride is like. If if it's really windy out, if you have a headwind or if you're climbing a lot, you might actually be improving a lot as a rider and putting in some great efforts, but those numbers might not show it. So I think power is a almost like a more compassionate way to measure ourselves. <laughs> it's It's a lot more accurate and it's person specific. So you can see your performance evolve over time. You can see yourself improve in a way that like average speed might not tell you. So we do, that's an important part of of what we offer cyclists is power measurements, that that quirk technology that's super accurate, really high quality, really reliable power measurement. And you know, even at the, the rival level, you can get a power meter for a very affordable price now that's a very high quality power meter. So that's what we're trying to do is, is bring power measurement to more riders and then our access connectivity gives you insights like we were talking about earlier that um, you know help connect the, the drivetrain and your components to what your power output is. So love, love, love that power is becoming a lot more uh, approachable, a lot more people understand it thanks to those other platforms that you mentioned, everything yeah. from Peloton and their output to, uh, to Zwift makes um, power, not just the, the very elite uh, benchmark that it, it once was, but now it's, it's a lot more um, democratic and available to more cyclists. Yeah. They have a great FTP test on Zwift and um, I tested every, you know, a couple months when I'm training. Um, and it's gone up since I've been using Zwift. Like my indoor training, like, you know, has really been a game changer for my outdoor cycling in, a, in an amazing way that I didn't even think was possible. So I, I love Zwift and I love like the indoor trainer. Um, all right. So I know that I've been asking you a lot about road stuff. Uh, and I know that you love gravel and that that is your current cycling focus. So dial me in to the world of gravel because I'm very curious about gravel and I want to know like what do I need to know if I'm thinking about getting started in the sport and adding this to my repertoire. I think one of the big misperceptions about gravel is that you need to sign up for a big bike race in Kansas to go experience it. (laughs) That's not true at all. Gravel can take so many different forms of, of where you live. You know you can gravel ride out of New York City you can ride gravel from your front door. It can involve pavement. It can involve trails. It's not just this very particular type of, of surface and riding. 
And what it's all about is, is a drop bar bike that's designed to be more capable and comfortable than a road bike. So you're going to have wider tires. They're going to have some tread on them a lot of times. You might have wider gearing depending on where you are, but it just makes for a bike that can handle a broader set of terrain than a road bike and keep you more comfortable and in better control when you're riding it. So, you know, it's, I, I think, a more loose definition than, than people might think it is. And it's just a really wonderful way to enjoy time on your bike. It's kind of like what, you know, road running is to trail running is road cycling to gravel. So you might need a different pair of sneakers, but it's still like a similar experience. It's not like mountain biking. It's kind of in between the two, right? That's, you know, that's a great analogy. Like if you're, you know, if you've been doing a lot of road running and even, you know, racing and you're getting kind of burned out on it, then you go for a trail run and you're doing a very similar activity, but it just feels so refreshing because you don't have the same constraints that you, you do maybe with, with paved racing. Yeah. So gravel riding, I think a lot of people who had been serious road riders love it because it's this like similar activity that just feels it, like it's, um, you know, less constrained, more fun, more joyful, more spontaneous yeah. than the really rigid type of, of cycling they were doing before. So it's a totally different kind of bike. It's definitely different wheels and different tires. Um, is it kind of like a hybrid bike or it's, it's lighter than a hybrid? So you can do gravel riding on, on a hybrid. any yeah. type of bike. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, but not and it'd a be fun. Yeah. Like, if, like if you look at all of those crushed multi-use pads, a, a hybrid bike is going to be great for that. Um, but yeah, I think a lot, if you go into a bike shop and you ask for a gravel bike, there's, there's going to be a range of them. There's going to be something that might be a thousand dollars that is, you know, super utilitarian and, bomb-proof and could be great for commuting to all the way to uh, the very high-end gravel bikes that are going to be all carbon fiber and electronic shifting and uh, the really blingy technology that you would see on a road racing bike. Cool. That sounds fun. I still have a lot of room in my road cycling to grow, but I definitely, I definitely think gravel sounds like a great option for me. I'm definitely not going to go ride on a trail by myself but I would love to get in with a group locally and kind of dabble in it a little bit maybe uh next spring because this fall I'm totally focused on cycling outdoors on the road I can only do so many sports because I also have to work that's what I tell myself as soon as I think of another one I'm like no last year (laughs) my partner was like she's really into skiing and I've just never gotten into it um you know, I just, I just never got into it. And we went to Telluride. So of course I loved it. And I didn't love it like I love every other sport that I do. But then I started thinking I could like this sport. You know, <laughs> and the next thing I know, I'm looking at skis. That's the thing for me. Like once I commit to the gear, I'm in for the sport. But like until then, I can't, I can't commit. So, so I have to think about, I'm thinking, I don't know about you, like what other sports do you do besides cycling? Are you a skier too? The gear thing is is like this great natural constraint where, like you mentioned, <laughs> you, yeah. it kind of stops you from like doing too much, but then you also have to invest in the gear if you do want to do something regularly. Yeah. So I think gear is a, you know, my garage is pretty full of bikes already. So You're like no more. <laughs> it doesn't give us much room for other activities. Back to SRAM. I know that SRAM is 
you know, an amazing company and they sponsor so many incredible professional athletes and teams and events and races and, you know, not-for-profits. But SRAM has also been on a mission to really build the sport of cycling amongst women and empower female athletes for success. When did this mission begin and how are you guys doing this? Supporting more more women cyclists is a huge part of who SRAM is as a company. And it, it certainly, I don't know when it started because it certainly started before I joined the company. And it was a reason why I wanted to work for SRAM. I remember watching the first women's tour of California when they added, it was I think, just a, a time trial at the time, but it was so exciting to be able to, to watch the women pros race in, in that big domestic race. So it's, it's something that the company has been at for a while. And I know was, we're always looking at ways to do better to, to do more, to find the ways where we can really move the needle to grow, uh, you know, the number of people who watch women cycling, the number of professional women cyclists, the number of total women cyclists. Yeah. And um, also address some of the the equity issues in in the sport too. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I, I'm so excited. Just a couple months ago, the Tour de France announced that they are going to have a women's race in 2022. That is what truly inspired me to kick off this week-long series around cycling because I'm just so excited that there's going to be this major women's race. I know that SRAM sponsors lots of athletes and teams. How else will SRAM be involved in the Women's Tour de France 2022? So we we sponsor a partner with uh, a few of the Women's World Tour teams. Okay. So we'll be supporting those those teams and athletes at at that event and then doing our best to create content that inspires and helps encourage people to tune into the racing. We actually are part of a, a multi-brand coalition that launched a new series this season called The Run-Up, where it, it follows some of the women's top teams and and just like the days before a race. And so it shows you like, who are the riders to watch? What are the interesting stories? And then the whole goal is to get people to tune in to, to watch the racing live because that's part of the ecosystem that when there's more viewership numbers, then there's more sponsorship right. value there and it makes the sport healthier. So uh, the run-up series, go go check it out on YouTube, Google the run-up series and you'll find it. So we'll play a role in, in helping create content and activate our teams that are part of that race. That's awesome. I want to, I definitely want to help raise awareness too. I definitely want to include more cyclists on the podcast because I think I talk to a lot of runners and I talk to a lot of doctors and wellness people but triathletes but I definitely feel like I'm going to increase the cycling content on the podcast you know I'm not a women's focused podcast but I definitely think it's important to highlight women in the sport and I do have a lot of listeners that I think would be into it this has been so great thank you so much for being on the podcast Kate well, thanks so much for, for having me, and I enjoyed the, the conversation, too. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com, for more info on this episode links in the show notes and of course 
sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, moneyonthemove1 at gmail.com. And let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of. If you have questions for our guests, just reach out.